0: Well, um, I want to say welcome, and uh, we're picking up where we left off in uh, Romans, and if you you don't have a Bible, you can just follow in the bulletin what we're doing. This is from the New Testament, Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. And before I launch into that, I've got to take just one minute to to say something. Friday night was, uh, for me, was literally just one of the most special things I've ever experienced in my whole life, and that's not just speaking in superlatives. It was one of the, I will always, always, always remember Friday night, and um, you were gracious to uh, commemorate 10 years of uh, the Hay Bigs being here and of pastoring, and, uh, and I was telling Jake and Tim this morning, when we prayed beforehand, I, I mostly did yard work yesterday, and just every once in a while, I would just almost start crying, and uh, it wasn't allergens. It was, it was just, you know, the memory... I woke up Saturday morning, kind of that feeling of, did that actually happen? And it was just so much goodness and so much uh, kindness on your part and, and just the thoughtfulness to take a Friday night of your time to do that and all the planning, but all that it represents, all that you do, known and unknown, seen and unseen, that it just shook me to my core in the, in the best kind of way. So for all the thank yous I haven't specified or, or lasered in on, I want to say thank you. I I just, I'm so privileged to be one of your pastors. Thank you for letting me. You know, you can't just walk up to somebody and say, you're my friend, you know. Like, you can want to be somebody's friend, but they have to let you be their friend. You have to let me pastor you. And uh, thank you for the honor of doing that. One last thing, and I'll be quiet. Well, no, I won't. I'm going to preach about 30 minutes after that. But Hey, Brian, we are paying you to do something, for crying out loud, besides show up for parties. But, um... The, the one regret I had, well, besides just I wish I could have frozen it and, and just absorbed it more, but um, when I came off the elevator, I felt like a, a harpoon hit my chest when y'all yelled surprise. But um, yesterday I was doing yard work, and I thought, you know, I had thought over the years, if I ever got to hit, you know, just a, a significant milestone in my time at downtown Prez, there's this thing I'd love to say. And then I hit it, and I forgot to say it. So I'm going to say it. And it won't take long, but, you know, like an anniversary, that's an opportunity to uh, recount God's goodness and, and tell some stories and remember. Um, it's also a good opportunity to apologize for things the way, uh, the way couples need to. And, you know, you just can't be part of a community and you can't <clears throat> have a leadership role without, um, without affecting people with your own sin. And that can be um, saying the right thing in the wrong way. It can be saying the wrong thing, period. It can be not saying something that needed to be said. It can be mishandling people. Um, I've done all those. And I'd, I want to thank you for hanging in there with me. Um, if, if I ever needed to clear the air with you about something, I would want you to tell me. I'm out of town this week, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll find you when I get back. <laughs> They'll have forgotten by next Sunday, but uh, I, I really, I mean that I, I would apologize to you for how you've been affected by my sins and my mistakes, but thank you that in His mercy, God continues to work in our midst, so I just, almost I'm going to say about that. Romans 15, and we're going to start in verse 22. Um, you know, I think across, sort of across the disciplines, across different areas of expertise, when we see someone who's really accomplished, we assume that it's easy for accomplished people to do what they do. I'll give you an example. I I saw a sixty minutes interview with Dustin Hoffman one time, and he was talking about he just he'll go into any new acting project with just fear and trembling. And I can't remember who was interviewing him, but they said, Why would you you know, you're Dustin Hoffman, why would you still be scared? And he said, Let me ask you a question. Who's the greatest living director right now? And uh, the interviewer said, I'm I'm guessing you mean Steven Spielberg. And he said, look, Steven is a friend of mine. I talk to him all the time. The first day of filming for every new project, he he throws up. And you, you assume he's Spielberg. He kind of wakes up and just coasts through the process. And it's not easy for him. It's not even easy for Steven Spielberg to make a movie. It's hard for him, although he does remarkable things. And... In a way, I, I, I want to I take that template and think about Paul because when you get to the end of Romans, and, and uh, Jake and Tim and I have talked about this has really been, it's just really been beneficial for us because I think it's the most in-depth we've ever looked at it ourselves. A lot of stuff on the front part of Romans gets really scrutinized, and 15 and 16 are just kind of this caboose, and there are all these riches in there that we don't look at. And I think a lot of Paul the man comes out, who he really is. And sometimes we can talk about Paul like he's a superhero. He did this, he did that. He traveled all over the world. He was willing to be martyred Till it just doesn't seem like anyone we know or could be. And what I want to think about is, what is Romans about? It's not about Paul's, like, path to greatness. It's about the gospel. Paul hated Christians. Paul hated Jesus. And it was God's mercy that changed him. It wasn't because he had superhero DNA. God, in his mercy, changed him and opened his eyes to the gospel and this kind of power of God that he talks about worked in his life. And when he wrote Romans, he wasn't a finished product. He was still a sinner. And so, what I, kind of like last week, what I want to look at is how is he modeling, not just superhero apostledom, Like how is he modeling the normal Christian life? In particular, how he interacts with Christians, in this case, that he's never met before. And, and, and I'll tell you, it was funny because I, I know I mention this every other sermon or every sermon, but, you know, I don't, I don't naturally just want to be around all kinds of different people. I, I have m- monastic tendencies. But I am Protestant, just so we're clear on that. Um, but, I, yeah, just I, I, I tend to go in not not out, and he's modeling something that I would say no no one in this room needs to hear more than me. So here's the question. What are we seeing here about how God, through the gospel, through the work of Christ and the Spirit, changed a man who used to hate Christians? Romans 15, beginning in verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Our Father, thank you for your precious word that it's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can go into our very heart of hearts. It can even divide up our parts so that we become the sacrifices unto you that we're supposed to be. So please, Lord, use your word. Don't let us be unchanged. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Did I sound that bad? Thank you. Um, Three summers ago, I had the opportunity to... It's funny. I was just talking about monks. I got to meet a man who's a Trappist monk. And, you know, there's different kinds of monks, Benedictine and Augustinian, and and I don't know all the kinds, but he was uh, a Trappist monk. That's a certain kind of Cistercian monk. And if you see the name of a Trappist uh, after it lists his name, it'll, it'll say O-C-S-O, and that stands for Order of Cistercians of the Strict Observance. In other words, they're not just monks, but even by monk standards, they're strict monks. That's strict. So his name is Brother Martin, amazing man, fought in World War II, and uh, he showed me clippings from his, his past and uh, really served in harm's way in the Pacific Theater, amazing guy. But we just chatted for a while, and right before I left, he said, you know, I tell you, I don't know how you guys out there do it, meaning Christians out there in the world. And I thought, that is, such a, that is such a counterintuitive thing that he would say that to me. Like, I would have thought we would look at him getting up at 4 to pray every day and just vegetarian diet and all, the, all these strict things that they do and think, man, I don't know how you do it in here. And he's looking at me about to, like, get in my rental car and go off somewhere and, like, eat whatever I want, do whatever I want. And he says, man, I don't know how you all do it out there. He didn't say y'all. He said, I don't know how you guys do it out there. Uh, and I, number one, just what all is out there in the world? Just that it's, such an un, it's so much less controlled than an environment like a, a Trappist monastery. Very calm, very orderly, very protected. But the other thing is just even the kinds of Christians that one would be around. Like, for instance, in his world, if he's still living... His entire Christian community, except for guests or maybe other additional staff, the people he really shares life with are all male. They're all single. They're all devout Roman Catholic. We, could even, we might could even narrow it in more than that. That's a very narrow slice of kinds of Christians to be around, where when you join sort of a normal church, again, it might be very... Racially similar across the lines, but as far as just the kinds of people, the the backgrounds, the demographic whatever, you can't really control who you're around. And it can be hard. Um some of you have felt that maybe from being in a community group. Maybe you said, All right, let's try this on for a little bit, and after four times, five times, you just thought, This is just not like the group I would have chosen for my Support network. This would, this is not the small group I would have chosen to be my little circle of friends in the church. What do we do with other Christians? And if we feel like I'm not naturally good at connecting with other Christians, what do we do with what do we do about that? And here's the thing: He handed me water, and I haven't drunk any straw. The Bible is not primarily about what we're going to do to fix ourselves. The Bible does speak very directly to commands and things that we, are, that we must do, that we're supposed to do. But that's not the good news. The good news is what God has done for us. And again, what I want to look at is just from the evidence of Paul, what had God's work in his life and the power of the gospel, what had it done in his relationship with people that he used to hunt down? And here's, here's how I want to break it down. First off, en- enjoying other Christians. And second, enlisting other Christians. And third, blessing other Christians. So enjoying, enlisting, and then blessing. All right, First off, enjoying other Christians. But let me point out a couple of things that you may have noticed along the way and it hasn't re- we haven't given it its due. Look in verse 30. He says, and he's done this so many times, we haven't really focused on it. I appeal to you, brothers. Now think about this. This is a guy who grew up in a background where you would not feel closeness to Gentiles at all. He grew up in a devout Jewish home. And you get a little window into his background where in chapter 9 of Romans he's talking about the Jewish people, the Jewish community that he grew up with and he calls them my kinsmen, my brothers. Now, in his world, that's who you would naturally call your brothers or fellow Jews, especially devout ones. But you read through Romans, and at least ten times, and other times when he's referring to other Christians, but at least ten times, he calls Roman followers of Jesus that he's never met, my brothers. And it's that way in all his letters. And think about this, Um, and this is over a year now um, back, at the beginning of the letter, he said, I long to come to you and spend time with you. That's almost the very beginning in chapter 1. I long to come to you. Now, long is a strong term. That's not just, that's not just gosh, I, I think I'd like to eat lunch today at such and such. For instance, uh, Dana and I both grew up with dogs. I mean, we weren't raised by dogs, but we had dogs in our, in our home as pets. We were both raised by wolves, ironically. And uh, love dogs always have... Dana says I'm a better person when I'm around a dog, but Betsy Habig, our daughter, longs for a dog. We haven't had one for three years. Got to get some allergy things in check. Betsy brings up dogs like almost every day. Somehow, when when Betsy sees a dog, it could be like a pit bull with foam around its mouth and a spiked collar. She'll just walk up to it. Of course, Betsy being Betsy, it'll shake its ferocious tail and, you know, love her back. She longs to have a dog. That's what the word means. And he is saying to people he's never met, I long to see you. I think about it. Isn't that amazing? I think about it all the time. And he says it again in the text, verse 22. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. And then he says, I have longed for many years to come to you. And then he says down in verse 32, pray for me, pray for these things, pray that my trip works out the way I want for it to. Verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And he said that in chapter 1, too. He said, I want to come and see you. Group of people, never met before. I want to encourage you and strengthen you. And he says, and I want you to do that for me. We joked about, would that be like the Chris Farley show? I don't know if you remember that from SNL. Chris Farley show, like he brings Paul McCartney on the show and he quotes Paul McCartney's lyrics and he says, do you remember when you wrote such and such? That was awesome. You know, are the, are the Roman Christians going to say to Paul, you remember when you said that nothing can separate us from the love of God and Christ? Yeah, we thought that was awesome. But he thought, no, I, when you talk about your life, you'll strengthen me. And when I talk to you about God's work in my life and remind you of who He is and what He's done, I'll strengthen you. Um, C.S. Lewis, you've probably heard this, he was, uh, had this tight-knit group of friends, of writers, and um, which included the Inklings, but was even kind of a larger circle. And one of his very close friends was Charles Williams. And um, Charles died fairly early on, compared to the other writers. And in his book, The Four Loves, Lewis says, "When Charles died, it's not like, okay, now I get more of the other friends to myself." He said, "When Charles died, I lost part of the other friends too." because he could draw them out, as, as, as friends do. Um, I would say on a personal note, I have felt that with you, that knowing you draws things out of me that I couldn't draw out. You do that to other people. Other people do that to you. And it seems like, I don't, I don't want to read into the Scriptures, but the only way that a... a devout Jewish man, transformed by the grace of God, could say to Romans that he's never met before, I think about coming to visit Rome all the time. I can't tell you how bad I want to meet you and spend time with you. The only way he could say when that happens, my joy is going to go up and your joy is going to go up, is that it's going to go up, is he had already experienced that. And we need to hear that because just the default mode of American hearts is individualistic and consumerish. I'll craft my life the way I want to craft my life. And I'm not saying that in the second person. That's who we are, first person. I'll craft my life the way I want to craft my life, and I will only include people in as much as it serves my purposes. And what the the Old and the New Testament are screaming are, we can't be who we really are without each other. The main reason we need to do things like this, the main reason we need to do community groups, the main reason we need to do dinners for eight, the main reason that we need to have lunches and coffees and be in each other's homes and work together and serve together and have yard sales is not so that we can prop up downtown press activities. It is because, A, it honors God. And, B, if we don't do that, we're not being ourselves. But when we are doing that, it draws the real us out. It, it was the mercy of God that Paul enjoyed other Christians. Second, Paul enlists other Christians. I have never struggled with what to call a sermon point more than this point. Let me write you the, the other ones down. I, I have yellow pads of things scratched out. I had including other Christians, prompting other Christians, partnering with other Christians. used an old-fashioned one, entreating other Christians. And I thought, no one says entreat anymore. I thought of grabbing other Christians. That sounded threatening, so we scratched that one. And all the visitors never came back. Grabbing other Christians. No, no, no thanks. Enlisting other Christians. Here's what I mean. It is a, a mark of the hand of God when somebody is saved, not only for that person to be redeemed, but they start reaching for other Christians as they do these things that God calls them to do. They, they reach for them. They prompt them. They include them. They, they rope them in. Look at how he's doing that. And, and this is interesting. He's doing this in what we would call deed ministry and word ministry. Deed ministry and word ministry. Uh, deed. Look, first off, look in verse 23. Or excuse me, verse 25. And here's the background. Uh, this shows up in several of Paul's letters. He, he spent a lot of energy gathering money from other parts of the world to give to Christians in Jerusalem because of a crisis. And we we don't really know what the crisis was. It may have been famine that's referred to in the New Testament. It may have been that the first Christians in Jerusalem liquidated all their property, which we look at that and go, wow, look how they share. But it may have created just sort of a financial crisis in their lives. We don't know. But the Jerusalem Christians needed financial help. And Paul spent all his time and energy getting money from other Christians out there. Look at what he says in verses 25 and 26. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, that would be Greek-speaking areas. That would be some places we've heard of before like Corinth and Philippi. Thessalonica, they wrote the Thessalonians too. Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Uh, These guys weren't necessarily loaded, but when they heard that the place where Jesus died, the place where the Holy Spirit was poured out, this place that's always been special in the history of God's people, the place where redemption just burst into the world, that those first Christians that they owe so much to, that they're hurting, they entrusted money to me. And so I'm taking it to them. So he says this, I need you to pray for two things. Number one, pray that it will be accepted by the people that I'm giving it to. Why wouldn't it be accepted? Well, we're not sure what he means means by that. Um, It could be that, hey, some of these Jewish Christians don't really believe there should be Gentile Christians. You see evidence of that in the New Testament. If they accept money from Gentile Christians, they kind of have to concede the point, and pride might kick in, and they may not want to. We don't know why, but he says, pray that they'll accept it. Also, um, I'm traveling a lot. And, I, I, you know, if I had like a giant screen up here, maybe I could give you a cool graphic. But to go to Rome, but to go to Jerusalem first, means Paul is going to go the opposite direction first. He's in Corinth when he writes this. I'm going to go over here to Jerusalem, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, eight 800 miles, then 1,500 miles this way to Rome at great inconvenience, and then about 700 more miles to Spain. Pray for me. This is not just the Paul show, and I've got on my cape, and I'm delivering the heroic money. I need you to be part of what I'm doing by your prayers. And there's also... <clears throat> excuse me, word ministry, it says, I'm, going, I'm journeying to Spain. Spain would be like in Paul's world. You know those maps, the old-fashioned maps where just after the edge it kind of fades to white and it says like, here be dragons or something like that. that. Spain would be the last thing you saw before it went to white in his day. When Jesus said, take the gospel to the ends of the earth for Paul, Spain. So that's where we're going. What does he say to them about his trip? Look in verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And and the English translation says, to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now that to be helped in Greek is something of a technical term For helping someone with a journey, it would be something along the lines of giving your money to help me in my travel expenses. It could even mean giving me personnel, uh, people to go with me for security, people to serve as translators. If you've got Spanish-speaking people in the congregation, which in a major urban cosmopolitan area, you might. Paul is saying, I'm going to do this. This is going to be further away than I've ever been before. But this is not just the Paul show. When I stop off, I'm not just using you. I want to enjoy you and I want to be a blessing to you. I also need money. And I may need some of you to leave your homes and come with me. Um, What does that mean for us? Let's just start off with the level of prayer. Uh, At one point in my life, I was in a church. won't say where, won't say when. And there was a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And it was usually there. And when you walked into the room where this prayer meeting was held, there was, a little, there was a little stand, and there was a prayer list printed out sitting on the stand. And the list used to make me tired as soon as I walked in. It was, it, like We'd walk in, we'd get the list. It was so many things, I think, to really pray through these things would take an hour and a half. And then we're going to take prayer requests on top of that. And, what you, and this is more me being bad, but another regular there uh, worked with a lot of um, Asian college students, and she's a wonderful woman, and she wanted us to pray for these students. And so she would give us like seven difficult Asian names to write down and pray for. And I'm not, not trying to be, you know, like ethnic jokes here, but it would just be just like some name I had no idea how to spell, like chong or something. I'd just be like, Wait, okay, what? how do you spell that? List all these names, and then feel more tired more burdened. And the way I responded incorrectly to that is I don't ask people to pray for hardly anything. And I wonder how many of us do that. Like, I wonder if you've been around somebody that's constantly emailing you things, forwarding things. Pray for this, pray for this, pray for this, pray for this. That maybe the way you've responded is you don't include people in most of your Christian life. May I give you an example? If I had not been working on this passage, I would not have said what I'm about to say. This week I've got the privilege to preach to 1,200 college students in Panama City Beach, Florida. And if history serves as an example, a bunch of them will not be Christians. And I think if I had not been working on this passage, I would have just said, I'm going to do that, I don't want to burden them with that, and I'd go on to do it. And I would say to you, man, I need you to pray for me. I'm going to preach five sermons, twice a piece. I'm going to preach ten times to Christians and non-Christians. I get to preach the gospel to them. Would you please pray for me? And let me know how to pray for you, which some of you do. But like, It is a work of the gospel to see, man, I, I can't just have my little individual American Christian life that I'm carving out for myself. I'm at my best. I'm most being myself when I reach for other believers and say, pray for me. I may even need you to give money to this thing that I'm working on. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. I, I just mentioned this in passing. Um, when we first installed deacons, a member, um, a member of our church who had already served as a deacon, we, some of us emailed and just said, hey, just g- give us some advice about being a deacon. I mean, what should we be telling our brand new deacons? And this, this, um, this brother said, the first thing I would say is always take someone with you. If a, if a deacon is going to visit the sick, if a deacon is going to do a chore in the building, take, always be taking someone with you. That's the Christian life. Last thing is this, and I'll spend less time on this, is blessing other Christians... The pattern in Paul's letter, over and over and over, is that at the beginning of the letter, he'll say who he is. That was normal. And then he'll say, grace and peace to you. Or grace, mercy, and peace to you. And then at the end of the letter, he'll say something like, uh, may the love of Jesus be with you, and much love to you all. And it's amazing. He'll say it to people that he's deeply frustrated with the next letter in the New Testament, Corinthians, he starts off and says, Grace and peace to you. I thank God for you. I pray for you. And then he just starts talking about they're doing the craziest things. People get drunk at the Lord's Supper. They're suing each other. There's a man who has an inappropriate relationship with his stepmother. On and on and on. He, he's very direct with them. They're divisive. Direct with them. And then you get to the end of the letter. He says, May the love of Christ be with you and my love to you all. Look in the passage here. Already in chapter 15, he's pronounced a benediction. At the very end of Romans, he pronounces a benediction. What's verse 33? May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Blessing people he's never met before. Bless, 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 bless. Why is that? Think about this. Um, I'm in a, I live in a family of chocolate addicts. And we're very protective of our chocolates. And all of our family members at times hide chocolates from the other people who like the chocolate. And we've all done it, and we've all caught each other doing it, but we still don't know what we haven't caught. And I've noticed that in the Hey Big Home, what is the easiest day to be generous with chocolate? November 1st. There's so much chocolate in the house that even we who are wicked with our chocolate can just distribute it freely because there, there is more than enough to share. I won't miss this Kit Kat bar. Don't come back tomorrow asking for it. But, but today, November 1st, I'll, I'll give you some because there's so much. Why could a man bless people he didn't know? Look in verse 29. I know that when I come to you, which is great. He doesn't say, if I come to you. I know that when I do, finally, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You know why I can bless you? You know why I can bless churches that drive me crazy? Because I walk around in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Think about it. That's the key, really, to everything we're talking about. How could Paul enjoy other Christians? Because you know what happened after he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus? He came to find out that he, a persecutor of the church, was reconciled to God. And when the Bible talks about the God of peace, that's not God of peaceful feelings. That's God of shalom, where there used to be hostility. Now there's reconciliation and love and enjoyment. Paul knew that the prophets say, Zephaniah, that we never read, that God will rejoice over you with singing. God can rejoice over somebody that used to do everything he could to drag God's children into custody. God enjoyed him, he could enjoy other Christians because He Himself was enjoyed. How can I bless other other Christians that drive me crazy and keep me up at night, because I don't know if these churches are going to make it, because I can bless them because I I have the fullness of Christ's blessing. Why am I constantly reaching for people saying, you need to be part of this mission, because that's what the Trinity did to me. The Trinity does not need my help. And when I couldn't save myself and I didn't want to be on God's mission, He took out my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh and He grabbed me and said, participate in this thing. Even though I don't need your help, I'm, I'm, reach, I'm enlisting you and in, encircling you to participate in the work that I'm doing. Let's pray that this happens in our midst. You know, Enjoyment of one another And ownership of ministry in our church and in our city is not going to come from anybody standing up saying, love each other. It's not going to come from saying, we need to own the ministries of this church. Let's look at our spiritual gifts and let's get out there and use... That won't do it over the long haul. You know what does it? It's when you feel so... It's unbelievable. Enjoyed by God that you've got enjoyment to share with someone you wouldn't naturally click with. That... that, you realize He includes me in the kingdom and He doesn't need me. And you start reaching for other people. That I have the fullness of the blessing of Jesus Christ. And so, you know what? I can say, even to those that frustrate me or maybe have hurt me, I can say, look, may God's grace and peace be on you. And you need to know that I love you. That is the work of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, please make us into such a community. Not because we have decided that we will be the sort of community, but because these are the fingerprints of your great spirit. Cause us to enjoy one another because you've enjoyed us. To reach for each other because you reached for us. To bless others because you've blessed us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our blessings come because God has blessed us. Uh, As a response to what we've heard, let's stand together and sing the doxology to God from whom all blessings flow.